Um, in, in case you've forgotten, it's been a little while since uh, we were together. In, in a cha- uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll be today. Ephesians 4, 17. And we'll go down through chapter 5 and verse 2. Uh, as we look at the way God is continuing to shape and to mold. Right, a masterpiece in progress. And, and today we look at new things, new life, new clothing. We were talking in the, in the youth class this morning about new things. Um, I love getting new things, but that doesn't always mean I throw away the old things. Um, some people would prefer that I throw away the old things. I think there are some old things that I didn't throw away that Heather may have thrown away while I was out because I can't find them anymore. Maybe some old t-shirts or some old baseball caps, you know, that are, you know, perfectly fitted to your head. In fact, when you take them off and set them on the bed, they don't even lose their form or their shape. They just stay right there in that perfect shape. Um, you know, they've got the sweat ring and the dirt ring, and they're a little oily and greasy when you pick them up because they've just been through so much of your life with you that if when you get something new, it's nice and it's shiny and, and it's comfortable, but it's not nearly as comfortable as that thing that just molds to the shape of your old noggin. But when we are given something new in Christ, it's something different entirely. It is so new, it is so pure, it is so perfect that it doesn't matter how well that old thing fit. You don't want anything to do with it anymore. It is nothing in comparison to this new thing that we are given in Christ. We shouldn't be even tempted to go back to the old things that we had when we receive the newness that we receive in Jesus Christ, a new attitude and a new way of life. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start um, in verse 17. Uh, we got some new AT&T equipment this week, so... Nothing is working, and if you tried to connect to Wi-Fi and it wouldn't do so, that's why. I'm still working on uh, getting everything synced up, so um, I'm looking over my shoulder today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, it begins this way, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And because of the hardness of their hearts, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for their practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. So he begins right away. And before he gets into the new things, he's going to look back and say, you got nothing to do with the way you once were. Essentially, he begins by saying this, guard your thoughts and your words because they determine your heart's attitude and your choices. He says, you're looking back and he goes, you don't even need to think about walking the way the Gentiles walk. How much do we find ourselves in that place, though, where where we try to fit in? Where we try to come in and we try to we try to work and we want and we want to blend and, and we don't want to stick out too much. We don't we don't mind being different, but we don't want to be too different. Because being too different is really uncomfortable. And we find ourselves trying to live, you know, a, a life of real balance where we're teetering on the edge of trying to be just Christian enough, yet not so far away from the world that we're 
disconnected. And, and look, I find all kinds of ways to, to reason this out in my mind, to kind of excuse some different kinds of behaviors. We want to walk the line, as they say. And we try to walk perfectly on the edge. Close, but not too close. Why would you even want to have anything to do with that way of life? Look, he says they became callous. They gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Tell me that doesn't sound like the world in which we live today. Written 2,000 years ago, and it is just as applicable today as it was yesterday. That there is this constant lust, this constant desire, this constant pursuit of more. Because it doesn't matter how much you have, unless you are that one guy, there is always somebody with more than you. And even if you are that one guy, if you don't continue to pursue more and more and more, there will very quickly be someone with more than you. The constant pursuit to be on top with every next dollar, with every next home, with every next accolade being less satisfying than the previous one. A constant pursuit to fill this empty void that instead of getting fuller and fuller and fuller, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But we live in a world that continues to pour those things in, doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting something different. And and for some reason, as Christians, we have a desire to fit in with that world. And that is not a new desire. It is not unique to us in this day, and it is not unique to the Ephesian church in their day either. It's the nature of a human race living in a fallen world, ruled by the prince of darkness, whose sole purpose to exist is to keep you from God. And when we give ourselves over to that old way of life, we give him opportunity to win. To win space. To win part of who we are. Guard your thoughts. And guard your words. Because those thoughts and those words are the avenue through which our attitudes are affected. Our heart is affected. And they're they're the little things that begin that way. And and Satan begins to worm his way into those little thoughts and those little words. And slowly but surely they work their way into action and into attitude. And then they begin to not only affect our lives, but the lives of the people around us. It's the gateway to those things. Uh, Verse 20, he, he, he carries on. He goes, That is not how you learned about the Messiah. You see, you should no longer walk like them because that's the way they did it. And and that's not you anymore. That's not how you learned about the Messiah. Assuming you heard about Him and were taught about Him because the truth is in Jesus. You took, took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. And you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and the purity of the truth. And so we see Paul comparing the old and the new in this passage. The old fleshly way of living 
without Christ against the new way of living in Christ. You know, he says he, you put off the old self and you put on the new self. And, and, and for some reason, we put on that, that, that newness in Christ and it fits. It fits perfectly like a suit that's been tailored by a tailor that knows what they're doing. All right, this isn't an off-the-rack suit. This is one of those that somebody took your measurements and created something that just fits. Once or twice in my life, I've been fitted by a tailor, and someone made me clothes. Perfectly made, uniquely made for me. And it was only in those times that I realized what I thought was nice was not nice. Because clothes that are tailored for you, I mean the arms are the right length. Because the problem I have with shirts is in order to get arms the right length, they've got to be about this wide. Otherwise, the first time I wash it, I I end up with shirts that are like three-quarter length. And I walk around like this because I feel self-conscious about it, trying to make the sleeves longer. And then somebody makes something that's just perfectly designed for you, and you realize, oh, yeah, I'm never going back to off-the-shelf clothes again until you realize how much tailored clothes cost. And it's like, yeah, maybe off-the-rack isn't so bad. (laughs) Maybe I'll just find unique ways to, to make it work. He says, look, when you, when you are clothed in Christ, it fits and it fits perfectly. And it's yours and it's yours forever. You've put off the old self. And, and you've put it off in such a way that you don't ever want to pick it back up again. Because who you are in Jesus, the newness of life that you have in Jesus is perfect. It is pure and it is you. Perfectly tailored for you. He emphasizes the thinking differently in order to do so in verse 23. To be made new, to renewal of your minds in verse 23. Uh, if you look at what he says specifically, you, uh, you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your thoughts are important. An old ancient Chinese proverb says, Be careful of your thoughts, for your thoughts become your words. Be careful of your words, for your words become your actions. Be careful of your actions, because your actions become your habits. Be careful of your habits, for your habits become your character. And be careful of your character, for your character becomes your destiny. And Proverbs 4.23 says it more concisely. He says, be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. Say it isn't so. Why is there so much money being poured into self-help and the power of positive thinking? It's in sports, it's in academics, it's in life, it's in business, it's everywhere. Dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. I say that over and over again for people that are trying to climb the ladder because your thoughts run your life. And, and, And Look, I've been there. I've been in that place where I'm just negative. I'm thinking negative things and and. You know what happens? Negative things happen because you're in a negative mindset. When I'm around people that help me think and, and, and be more positive in mind and in spirit, 
Better things happen because you're in a better frame of mind, because our thoughts do frame. Sometimes it's as simple as the way we process things. We create this space for ourselves. The greatest feats, though, of transformation, what we see here, aren't these big and massive things, but they begin with the smallest of actions. And we hear about the big things, right? The big things make the news. The big things get the press. A lot of people gave a lot of money to Houston two years ago. A lot of people gave $5. A lot of people gave $20. A lot of people gave a couple thousand dollars. But those guys didn't make the news. But J.J. Watt made the news because he had a couple extra zeros behind his gift. Right? The big things make the big splash. But the little things make the difference. The little things begin us on a path to make big things happen. Even the long journey, as the phrase goes, begins with a single step. The greatest feats of transformation begin with the smallest of actions. Look at verse 25, as Paul continues here. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone who is in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. You see, those are little things. He's not saying go change the world. He's saying just change you. If you're a thief, stop stealing. If you're a gossip, stop gossiping. If you're lazy, go to work. You can't change the people around you. But you can change you. You don't have to go change the world, but just begin to change your own action one little thing at a time. And, and, you know, and then he says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And I want to just kind of skip over that work or that, that verse. I don't have a foul mouth. I sure like to give people a hard time sometimes. I think it's funny. And I don't mind it when people do it to me either. It's just kind of the way we joke around. But very little of it's uplifting. He says, look, this is the kind of people you are to be. The only thing you should be speaking is things that build each other up. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is good for building up, for helping those in need. And so sometimes I read some of them and I go, oh yeah, that's easy because it affects you. That's easy because it affects you. That's easy because it affects you. That's impossible. You can't do that. Like that's the big thing, right? Maybe I get to that later. (laughs) That's the big thing that's going to come down the road maybe, right? I read a story about a guy named John Francis who was, in, he was argumentative and he decided he was going to take a vow of silence for 17 years. I'd be in trouble if I took a vow of silence for 17 years. I had to find a new job, right? 
You don't have to take a vow of silence for 17 years. You don't have to bite off this great, grandiose thing. Maybe you just start with a day. Maybe you just begin with today, and as you begin each day, say, today I will not. You fill in the blank. Because that act of transformation begins with just the smallest of steps. And then he says in verse 30, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we... How do we grieve the Holy Spirit, right? This is the big question when we get there because that's kind of vague. And and I'd like for Paul to be a little more specific here. I'd like for him to say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by doing this and this and this and this. Okay, I won't do those things, but I can do the others. Well, if you look at what he's been talking about, he's been talking about that newness of life, that redemption we have in Jesus. That one thing that, that takes our sole focus in life. And he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't cause the Holy Spirit of God anguish, sorrow. How do we cause the Holy Spirit of God sorrow? I think we do that when we either don't recognize or ignore His voice. I remember when I was about 11 years old, my younger brother was about six, seven, somewhere in that range. We went deer hunting in the southern tip of the Rocky Mountains, and we decided that would be a great time to play hide-and-seek. Not a great time to play hide-and-seek for a six-year-old. I hid well. Um, and Casey went to looking for me. He didn't find me. He couldn't even find himself. Um, and I felt bad. I was supposed to be in charge. You know, the logical thing would have been for the 11 and the 13-year-old to not be on the same team and put the six and the seven-year-old on the same team, you know, to split the two older ones up. But we didn't do that. That wouldn't have been nearly as much fun as what we had for a little while, playing tricks on the younger, younger boys. He was gone. We couldn't find him. My dad said, where's Casey? I said, I'm not playing hide-and-seek. He hadn't found me yet. You're supposed to keep an eye on your brother. And so we begin looking, and we begin looking, and it's getting dark. And in the mountains, every tree looks like the other, and every trail looks like the, the previous one. Every rock looks the same. Um, and it took a few hours, but they finally found him. Um, and that night, we're in the camper of the truck. It's Casey, my dad, and me on this queen-size mattress in the bed of his pickup. It was too cold for that, but it's what we had. We're laying there, and Dad begins to ask questions, as only my dad can do, and he says, Hey, Casey, could you hear us calling you out there? I knew he could hear us calling, because I could hear him echoing through the canyon. You know, Casey, 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 all night long, and I'm feeling guilty about it. And you know what he said? He said, Yeah, I heard. He said, Why didn't you answer? 
And he said, well, I didn't know who was calling me. And I sure didn't want a stranger to come pick me up. Sometimes isn't that the way we are with God, though? I mean, sometimes I think God is saying, didn't you hear me calling you? It's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was you. You see, I, th- I think that is what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit, that, that we should know Him so intimately and so intently because He lives inside. We are, we are sealed with that Spirit. Why don't we know and recognize His voice? And maybe even worse yet is when we do recognize the voice and say, not today. I mean, I've seen it as a parent, I've done it as a child, and I see the anguish it causes where you just go, won't you just listen to me? I've been there. I've done what you're about to do. I've walked where you walked. And I know that you think that I'm a fool and I'm an old man and I don't understand what you're going through. But I've been there and I just want you to listen. Don't do what you're about to do. And they do it anyway. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't recognize what He's saying. You know that... We don't recognize his voice, his guidance, his push, his nudge. Or worse still, when we do recognize it and just don't follow it. When we continue to go back to that old way of life that doesn't fit. When we're walking down the road and it says, I can wear Jesus today or I can wear something else and we choose something else. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with Him for the day of your redemption. All bitterness and anger and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you. Along with all bitterness, all malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another and forgiving one another just as also God forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself up for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. How do you be an imitator of God? It is all about showing and demonstrating his love through forgiveness. Forgiveness is the path to being an imitator of God. His voice, His call, will always lead us in this path, in this direction. It says, clothe yourselves in the love of God. Forgiving one another, and don't let those little things that Satan tries to use to set you apart from God. Don't let it in. Get rid of it. It says, stop talking about one another. Malice, slander, that anger, it's got no place. That's the old self, and don't you remember, you put it away. And by put it away, he means you put it down. It's not a part of you anymore. It's not a part of your desire anymore. It's not something that you recognize. 
He says, but you're going to be people of grace. You are going to be people of love and people of forgiveness. Will we be those people? Masterpieces in progress. Will we allow that transformation to continue through the Spirit of God? Will we continue to follow where He leads and be the people that He's called us to be? Constantly, over and over and over again, putting away the old self that we are continuing to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. May we strive to be those people.